You are listening to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show, sponsored by Curiosoft Kids Games and the letter E. Visit the Indie Game Development Podcast site at www.indiegamepod.com. Hi, welcome to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show. Uh, how about you introduce yourself? My name is Billy Gerritsen, and I'm the president and founder of Perfect Dork Studios, uh, located out of Austin, Texas. Uh, thank you for inviting me on the show today. How did you get into games? Uh, my first experience uh, well, with games was when I was a kid. Uh, um, my parents had an Atari 2600. The first system that I owned was the NES, and I've just been a gamer ever since. Um, my first experience as a developer uh, was when I was in college. Uh, I was attending the University of uh, uh, Texas here in Austin, and I was 19 years old, and I got approached by a friend whose uh, older brother was uh, forming a game studio, and it was a bunch of coders, and they needed someone to you know, generate the creative content, and they hired me on to just basically come up with a design document for a game that they thought would take three months, and what ended up happening is I got a chance to design my dream game, and it took like 12 months. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I learned a whole lot just kind of making mistakes and stumbling into it. And that was a, that was a game for the pocket PC called Blade of Betrayal. And, uh, and it, it started off, um, we put it out and it got really good press, really good reviews. Almost every review that we had for it was almost a perfect review. Uh, it got, it got action game in 2003. Uh, but it did not sell at all. We made uh, zero money. So that was, there were days that I thought that I might have been done with it and that I was just going to be a game player, you know, basically be a, be a watcher instead of a, a doer. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, and when you get down on yourself, it's, it's really easy to do that. But um, I, uh, I think right around the time I started getting into Guitar Hero, uh, just my mind was just exploding with different ideas for, for cool you know, simple rhythm games, but like with a twist. And then one day, uh, I think this was in 2006, um, I, I had this, this concept, this concept for a game that I, that I felt I had to do. I felt like I had to pursue this idea. And, and the game was called Melody Strike. And it, it was a music rhythm game with a fighting game element to it. Um, it's not really at all like the like the battle modes in like Guitar Hero. It, it's more like uh, if you're familiar with the game like Puzzle Fighter, like the Street Fighter sure. uh, puzzle game, where you're playing a puzzle game, but down at the bottom of the screen, the two little characters are fighting, and and each character has got their kind of set of special moves um, depending on how you let the blocks fall. Well, that was the main inspiration for this game called Melody Strike, and uh, you basically you played a rhythm game that that uh, was like Guitar Hero, or like, uh, it, it, the interface actually looked more like uh, Guitaru Man. Okay. But uh, on the bottom of the screen, there was these, these little characters that were, that were beating each other up based on your performance. And as you built up your special meter, you, you had the ability to pull off, you know, super moves and stuff. And so the, the concept, the core concept behind it was, let's, let's play the game like a, like a music game, but let's think in our heads and strategize like we're playing a fighting game. Because you don't, you know, sure. if there's no, you know, you, you don't want to unleash your super move at the wrong time, et cetera. And so you do have to strategize. Um, so I 
at that point, I didn't have any programmers or anything. It was just me. Um, just me, and I hadn't even formed Perfect Dork Studios yet. But I saw that as a great opportunity to just, you know, form a company and, you know, hit the ground running with independent game development. And in my mind, I was like, well, you know what? Um, I want this game, you know, what, what platform do I want it to be on? That, that's, that's one of the questions I always ask myself now after, you know, putting like uh, Blade of Betrayal out on, on what I thought was the wrong platform at the time. Okay. Now I always think, you know, what is what audience would like this and, and what is the platform that makes the most sense? And I was like, well, you know what? Xbox Live. I know that I'm probably not going to have the luck to put out a physical product, so let's do a download game. And what are the downloadable services? Well, I knew that there was a few hoops you had to jump through to get like a dev kit for uh, for uh, for the, the PlayStation Network. And at the time, I didn't even own a PlayStation 3, so I didn't have a lot of interest. But Xbox, you know, I love my Xbox. And I said, you know what? We're going to make it an Xbox Live Arcade title. And so I went and did research on how to actually get that done, and I got in contact with the Xbox Live Arcade team. And, you know, so then my new directive was, you know, I'm going to build a prototype. I'm going to build a prototype. I'm going to submit it to the Xbox Live Arcade team. They're going to love it. We're going to make the game. And, you know, that was that, plain and simple. Okay, well, uh, so we get through making a prototype, and it's a pretty polished prototype. We got a chance to show it at... uh, GDC in 2007, uh, and you know everyone who saw it, they thought it was kind of cool. Submitted it to Microsoft, and I didn't hear anything back for about uh, six weeks. And that whole time, I mean, like my at the time, my whole future of my studio was kind of dependent on this game having you know funding and and like getting out there. And um, so. it's funny because at the very last minute we added a feature again. Here, here's me being a feature creeper, uh, uh, but we do learn from our mistakes. Anyhow, so I was feature creeping. I was like, you know what? This is a music game, and people people love Guitar Hero. Rock Band's about to come out. We have to have guitar support. We have to throw that in there. Believe it or not, not very hard. Not very hard to actually okay. implement the controller because the controller, it you know, all the buttons and everything, they they are triggers. You know, based on like what's on the standard um, controller. Okay. Um, so implementing wasn't hard, but this this is what killed us because when when we got our feedback, when they rejected um, the concept as far as moving forward with publishing it, um, the main reason was there were there were too many guitar games in their portfolio. So so the fact that the game had guitar support actually killed it. Because they no longer saw it as a just a music game or a or a hybrid music fighting game, sure. they then only saw it as a guitar game, and and then they and then they focused on well, there's not enough people with the guitar peripheral, so we can't really market it as a guitar game. And I was really beating myself up because I said if only they looked at it, you know, as as what it was, which was a music game with a fighting element, as opposed to a guitar. Game. Like we were not trying to cash in on the guitar craze. Um, so again, a little bit of a disappointment because, um, you know, some real time and money went into this because uh, I had to pay my programmer. Uh, at the time, it was just myself and, and my, uh, my senior software engineer, his name's Alan Utoff, a brilliant guy. Uh, and then we brought on a couple more guys uh, at the very end of, of that prototype. Uh to help finish it out. And so 
you know, my team grew from just myself to four guys uh, in the span of six months, just over this one prototype. Okay. Um, yeah, would you like me to continue? Um, well, I was going to ask, <clears throat> basically, is there any reason why you chose Xbox as compared to the web as a platform or something that was, you know, like, say, downloadable or even Flash-based? Um, I believe the reason why I went with a console is because it's what I, that's just what I know. Um, okay. I have not, I haven't really developed, uh, like internally in, in my own capacity, um, uh, or experienced a lot of, of web games. And so I felt more comfortable, like, you know, my, my hands are basically, they're tailored for, for a game pad, you know what I mean? And so my designs, uh, are, are affected by that. So designing a good, a good web game as far as how it controls and, and the optimization for it, not necessarily my strength. So at the time I was just thinking, what do I know? You go with what you know. And, uh, what I know is, is console as far as, uh, from a gameplay standpoint. And, um, and also I, uh, at the time this is, this was, this was pretty early on into Xbox live arcade and um, there wasn't a lot of content on there. And there was especially not any content like what I was wanting to create. So that that factored into it, too. I thought it was, it was a good chance to get high visibility and also get put on a platform that was a little bit in, in its infancy. So at the time, there, there might have been 40 games out. Okay. Um, so it just seemed like there was room uh, for a game like mine there. So after that experience, uh, what was the next game, and what were you thinking in terms of strategy, and um, you know where your where the studio was going to focus? Okay, so so this is where the big breakthrough happened, as far as um, the big like this is where I made this big kind of um, change of direction. Uh, I no longer, you know, being able to. Uh, acknowledge your your own limitations is is a huge thing just for personal growth and also as a good designer um you need to know first you need to set you know goals that you can meet um you know that's step one and so i felt like i was kind of getting a little out of my getting a little out of my league by um by seeking a publisher at that point because i i just i really don't have at the time i really didn't have like a lot of a lot of leverage, you know what I mean? Like, why would they go with a, a little guy like me? It didn't, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of proof under my belt that I could even put together the game. So, I mean, I understand it from that perspective. Um, so, so because of that, I decided, you know what? Um, I, I'm just a little tired of trying to convince people to believe in my product when I know it's going to work, when I know, when I believe in, in, in the game, you know, and I, and I know it's going to do well. So I was just like, I'm, I decided right then and there that I, I wasn't going to seek a publisher anymore. Like just from here on out, I'm going to try to do everything on my own. Um, and you know, sure. That means that you're going to have to go a lot smaller and not expect, you know, the, the big dollars, but at least you have complete creative control. And that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I form my own studio as opposed to, go out there and chase down bigger studios to hire me is I, I want to make the games I want to make. 
and um, provide my particular point of view into the gaming space. So it was it was after Melody Strike was rejected um, by the Xbox Live Arcade publishing team that I actually I put that project on hold. I said, you know, my heart doesn't even lie with this project. This was just a project that I thought made a lot of good business sense. Um, you know, I, I obviously don't regret uh, going into that project because it's what kickstarted the studio. You know, it's what it's sure. what got the ball rolling on where we are right now. And um, so instead, I, I just kind of I took some time just by myself, did a little soul searching, and just thought, you know, what what's the game that I really want to make? What's the game that I really want to put out there and 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 share with everyone? And what are my particular points of view? as far as an artist and, and a game designer. And that's when uh, the idea for, for our new XNA Creators Club game, it's a game called Box Macabre, that's B-O-X-M-A-C-A-B-R-E. So macabre, like, like you know, morbid and stuff. Sure. Um, that's, that's where the idea for that came up. And so uh, if I could just describe the game in, in, a, in a phrase, it's... Um, Imagine if Tim Burton made Metroid. So that that's kind of what I, what I tell people at first in order for them to kind of put the game in a particular space. Um, it's 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 a high artistic vision sure. mixed in with a lot of exploration and action. Um, it's a 3D game, so it uses a 3D engine. It's uh, based off of the uh, the Torque X, but it's the Torque it's the new Torque X 3D okay. engine uh, from Garage Games. We're using that to bring this game to put this game together, but it plays like a 2D game. So it's 3D graphics, 2D gameplay. So it's a little retro, but it's a little new, and that's kind of, you know, my my artistic visions always kind of go back to like let's let's bring something familiar, but let's make it fresh. You know, let's make it compelling to play these games that that you know we feel like we've played a million times already. Um, so I think that that brings in you know. Old old fans of like the retro gaming, and also new fans who may not have experienced those games. Anyhow, so uh, the the general idea behind this this game, as far as just from a from a, a design standpoint, is I wanted to introduce you know uh, have a game where you started off very underpowered, and as you started getting more and more abilities that increased your moment your your movement ability, and like you know how you traverse the world that the game actually evolves. So you start off and the game is more of a platformer like Mario. And then uh, eventually you, you, uh, you get a swing. Uh, you're, you're, you get an arm that you're able to extend out and grab surfaces and then swing, uh, similar to like a grapple beam or like Bionic Commando. And so then the game starts feeling a lot more like, like, like your Tarzan. And then uh, a little after that, you get the ability to like shoot projectiles, like little fireballs. And so... And so now the game feels a little bit more like Mega Man. And so as you're getting these new uh, abilities, the, the general core of the game feels like it's evolving with it. So you're not just doing the same thing over and over and over and getting better stats. I mean, the game is actually changing until eventually uh, in the game you get wings and you can fly and, and, and do everything else that you can already do. And then it, it feels more like a, like a flying shooter. So... You know, from beginning to end, I'm trying to take the player on this on this kind of adventure where they feel really overwhelmed at first, but then by the end, they're kind of like the masters of this world. Can you talk about um, since you come from the art perspective, uh, you know, how you go about game design? 
and um, some of the challenges and and whether you're like how you prototype because if a programmer is doing game design they may be able to program it or pick it up uh, what's the what's the strategy that you use okay well first of all I'll go ahead and say that prototyping is one of the most important things anybody can do because uh, it proves whether or not your concept can work without you having to uh, get through months of development and and lots of dollars to figure out that something's not going to work in the end. Okay. Um, and so, how we go about that? Okay. Well, um, my uh, let's see. Um, I will begin with a concept, and uh, and then I will kind of start talking about it with with the rest of the team. And my my lead designer is a guy named Britt Baker. He's a great guy to bounce ideas off of with. So, like a lot of times, I'll come up with like a core idea that he will help refine. And then I'll take it to the programmer. So uh, Alan Utoff, as I said before, guy, and another guy named Charles Spear, who's my lead programmer, uh, jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. And this is another important thing. You have to have people that can wear multiple hats in a small outfit. Otherwise, things are gonna, it's going to be slow, and you're going to have a lot more trouble. So definitely seek out people who have m- many talents. Okay. Um, so anyhow, starts with me, then it kind of starts branching out to the other designer, and then it branches out to the, to the programmers. Because we need to get their perspective on something. Because if, if, I, if I talk about a feature, like the swing, for instance, you know, to me, you know, I've, I've, I've used swing in so many games that I take for granted if it's difficult or not to do. Um, so I throw that idea out there, and then they kind of give me a reaction. And based on the reaction, I know how much time I need to allot for them to try to prototype that. You know, because if, if they think it's going to be hard, then, you know, I want to give them as much time as they can to uh, work through it. So, okay, so once we kind of establish the the core gameplay of, of the game, like, for instance, in Box Macabre, you can walk around, you can jump, you can shoot things, and you can grapple things. Um, so once we kind of establish that those are our expectations for the game, well, then we go into prototype mode where, you know, I'll put together a really, like, rough kind of, like, test, almost playground version of a level, where it's just just basic primitive, so just blocks and platforms, nothing fancy, um, no textures or anything. You just kind of put it together, and uh, and then we just start we start playing. You know, the programmers start um, programming in feature by feature, and uh, and then we'll all sit down at these milestones. Usually, it's every two weeks we have a milestone review, and we will look at the game and kind of play it, and everyone has feedback, and based on that feedback our next milestone is affected. So there's not this, like, very defined um, road... I mean, there's obviously a roadmap from beginning to end, but, like, the points along the way are not so clearly defined to where we can't kind of be flexible around things because things that you think are going to be easy end up being the hardest thing in the world, and things that really seem complex on the surface are super easy, you know? And it's really hard to account for all those things if you haven't done them before. So, you know... Is is two weeks a long time for prototyping? I mean, I've read articles on how some people propose either prototyping in a week or even a day or two days. Um, how well, does, I, how does two weeks work for you? I think part of it, uh, in our particular case, there's a couple of factors. Um, one factor, uh, it's a big factor, is that we all um, we all do have day jobs, sure. so. So half of our development time is, is, is cut because 
Um, we all have responsibilities uh, elsewhere. And um, I particularly, I, I probably, you know, I, I put in a full day at both jobs. Uh, I, I go to bed every night at like four in the morning. Um, so, but not, not all of us can do that. So that, that slows down the process just a little bit. Uh, another factor is we're using, um, we're using new technology to put this game together. So, uh, everything we put together on this game is based off of the beta of Torque X 3D, um, that I think Garage Games made available, uh, last summer. And uh, this, I mean, this is a, an engine that's actually not even done. It's not even, you know, fully released yet. So um, there's certain technical hurdles. There's certain things that uh, are going to be included in the engine that aren't yet. So my guys are having to uh, do a lot of custom engine work uh, to to get to get the results that we want. So you know, it's not just as easy as you know knowing what the task is and then just doing it. There's there's concrete walls that we have to either break through or bypass um, almost every step of the way. And uh, I think I think the best thing to do there is just, if you know it's going to happen, it won't be a surprise. So, you know, just always assume that that there's going to be speed bumps and things that are going to try to get in your way. And you just have to, you got to be flexible, you know? Once you once you finish that game, what, what happened then? Which one, Box Macabre? Yeah, yeah. Box Macabre is actually currently still in development. Um, what we completed, uh, which was a huge accomplishment for for our, my team in particular, because none of us have made a game with a 3D engine before. We're all uh, 2D have a 2D background, and so what we accomplished really was a game that felt like it belonged in the 2D era except we brought it to life in a way that you know other games are, are using 3D graphics. To, to mesh with 2D gameplay, um, but we actually incorporate the 3D. It, it's almost like, um, do you know how in Paper Mario you can flip the world yeah. to a different axis on the fly? We have elements like that in this game, um, except you, you never leave your axis, but you are able to uh, like rotate the camera and explore the world around you and see things that initially weren't visible just by you know moving the camera around and stuff and and there's other things that kind of ambient things that we're able to make the world feel more alive because it's in 3D. Um, so we put together this prototype um, for it's a, like a three-level prototype of the game uh, in about three months' time. So uh, with and and our deadline was last GDC, so GDC 2008 in Austin, Texas. Um, and our goal was to you know, uh, show it to Garage Games and, 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 and try to get some feedback from them and, and support. Well, what ended up happening is, so we finished this prototype maybe two days before GDC, and and uh, we show up kind of on the day of the expo where Garage Games was setting up, and they let us load the game on one of their laptops, and it was getting... It was getting a lot of recognition, like like it was getting a lot of attention from just people walking by and just seeing it. And I really think that uh, that Garage Games, you know what I mean? Like they, they they noticed that we were using their technology to do something that it probably wasn't intended to do because um, uh, a lot of people use uh, the Garage Games uh, 3D engines at least to make FPSs and or racing games. Yeah. And um, we're making a platformer, a 2D platformer with it, you know. And so we're doing the, the most 
or the least obvious um, approach. And so, uh, ever since GDC in 2008, when you know we got a chance to actually meet the Garage Games people in person and they got a chance to see the game, we have been in constant communication with them, and they've actually um, they've expressed that they're willing to let us show the current um, progress of Box Macabre, um, the full version, not the prototype, uh, at GDC in March uh, coming up in San Francisco. So, so just that, just that alone, making that prototype has has created a relationship um, with uh, with with a partner that can really help us out, and we help them out. We make their engine look good, and 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 help other people have um, be encouraged to use their products. And at the same time, they're able to give us a whole bunch of free press and marketing. So it's a win-win. Yeah. How useful is it, uh, would you say, being able to interact with another company at that level, at a more, um, at a closer level? Because I know you mentioned that you wanted to avoid publishers uh, based right. on your experience in the past. So you know, how, is this, well, how is this experience then? Uh, phenomenal, to say yeah. the least. Um, it's nice to know that you've got... Um, support, that's for sure. Um, Garage Games has never forced itself upon us, and they've never tr- approached us to try to you know, come in and, and swoop in and take our idea. They, they want to let us run the ship how we want to run it, and that's, that's their MO as well. They want to give developers all the freedom that they, that they need to make their vision. And so, um, uh, in general, I think it's really important to have friends, uh, friends in the industry, um, because they're the ones that can give you the feedback, uh, and constructive criticism that I think, uh, can really help you improve your product. Um, you know, as long as, as you, as that there's that mutual respect there. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I don't, I'm not looking for, for a publisher or anything, but you know, what garage games is providing is they're providing tools and support to help us make the game we want to make, you know, and in return, we're giving them a great game that, that everywhere, basically everywhere that you see the name box macabre, um, aside from perfect dork studios, you see powered by torque X and the garage game logo. So there's just this whole joint marketing thing going on and they just revamped their website, actually, uh, garagegames.com. If you look under their, uh, their engines and their console engines, and if you click the torque X button, uh, we're actually featured. Our game, they have screenshots from the prototype and they have a, a, our trailer uh, that you can also see at boxmacabre.com. Uh, and, and that was a really unexpected twist that you know I embrace wholeheartedly because um, we just, we just want to help each other out. You know? And if you can have friends like that, that you're making in the industry, that we're, you're just helping each other out, you know, that's, that's totally priceless. You know what I mean? Can you talk about, uh, well, are you able to, since you're using the Torque engine, can you convert it to a downloadable then or a web-enabled version, or how does that work? Uh, that would be a better question for my uh, for my technical staff, but... Um, Is that something they, you guys have looked into? Or are you, are you going to... Well, yeah, I'm going to... Okay. Um, I talked to, uh, to Brett Seiler over there. He's a VP of, I believe, sales... Um, or, or product development, I, I forget the titles, but uh, at GDC, he took, he took a lot of time to talk to me about kind of where to go from there. Um, and 
and that was totally totally great for him to do that. But um, yeah, so he he he's really interested in getting more titles for the instant action uh, platform that they've currently yeah. started you know started up. So it's it's web web browser games that all you do is you know you you go you sign up for it and you download. It's a plugin for your browser, um, both PC and Mac compatible. And uh, you sit there and you play like, you know, they've got like popular titles like Think Tanks and Marble Blast uh, that, you know, you can play for free. Uh, and apparently all you have to do to get your game up there is there's a certain there's a certain tool that you get through Garage Games that can convert your project to, you know, that service. Um and I'm sure there, there's some other back-end stuff in there, like, like you know, scoreboards and leaderboards and kind of networking, like, because they have chat enabled and everything in into that service that I'm sure you have to program into your game. Um, you know, so he expressed, you know, what what about bringing Box Macabre to instant action? And I knew, I knew deep down that it, it wasn't right for that particular um, venue or forum. Sure. Just because the game is a single-player adventure action game, and um, I really think that when you're online, you, you can have plenty of fun by yourself. But I really think that online is largely a multiplayer, both competitive and cooperative uh, forum. And I just really didn't think that Box Macabre would do as well with that audience. Now, that's not to say that I'm leaving out the the PC audience completely, uh, because since we're creating uh, Box Macabre um, for the XNA Creators Club, we're using um, XNA 3.0 as the framework, and uh, that can also be deployed to, to PC. So when Box Macabre goes on sale for the Xbox, uh, the XNA Creators Club, uh, this October, we're also going to simultaneously release the PC version on a number of downloadable uh, channels. And we're looking into Steam and Greenhouse and... Uh, Brett even offered to put the game up on on Garage Games own store, so uh, so there's there's no shortage of places you'll be able to actually find Box Macabre both on console and on uh, on your computer. Uh, while you're working on this game, are you working on any other games too, or is it primarily? Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, Box Macabre is the persistent game that you know I go back to you know all the time. Uh, but putting one game out a year is not part of my my current business model, my current business strategy. Because um, I just, even if the game's a hit, I just don't really think it's going to generate enough money for us to, you know, go full time with the studio. And that that really is the end goal here. Sure. Um, and I, and I imagine any independent studio, the end goal is to work on games full time no longer working for an outside party for most of the day and doing this at night in your basement or something, you know? Sure. The idea is to go full-time. Okay, so so part of my business strategy is to continue to put out releases throughout the year leading up to the big release, which our big release this year is Box Macabre. Okay. And, um, and in between there, um, there's actually there's, there's two... Uh, for sure, titles coming out with with a couple kind of in the works, but um, I'm working with uh, with Aaron Murray from Tandem Games, uh, which I believe you interviewed him. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Just 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 before this interview, um, so that's a nice coincidence. Uh, Aaron's a great guy, and uh, I met him at the Independent Game Conference uh, last November, 
here in Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, we, we just kind of hit it off real, real, real quickly off the bat. Uh, I ended up, I, I, without really knowing it, I, I played some of his games before. I played uh, an advert game that he made for VMC Labs. Um, and uh, so I commented on how much I like that. Well, he, he kind of brought me in on this new game that he's doing called Bumble Tales. Um, which I like to, I like to call, it's like, it's Bejeweled meets SimCity, but for casual, uh, players of like strategy games. Okay. So, so you're, it's like you're playing a match three game, but at the same time, you're kind of building up resources to build a little city on the side. It, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I, I kind of fell in love with the concept as soon as he started telling me about it. And, um, so just as quickly as that, you know, the numbers, it made sense as far as just like when he wanted the game to come out, what platforms he wanted to come, come out on. Like he's, he's doing it through, I think big fish games. He's going to release it through that portal on PC. Um, probably around May of this year. Okay. And, uh, because I started doing iPhone development. Uh, I said to Aaron, I said, Hey Aaron, um, what do you think about the iPhone? You know, I mean, how about I license the title from you and I and I publish the iPhone version of Bumble Tales through Perfect Dork Studios. And it, it didn't take any convincing at all. I mean, immediately, as I said, he was like, this a good idea. And so right now we're simultaneously working on the PC version and the iPhone version of, of Bumble Tales. And what's great about it is that I'm creating all the art assets myself. So I know how to basically... Uh, would think this, and I know how I'm going to take the art assets for the large, you know, huge resolution version of the game and make it more compact for the iPhone version. Um, and that's all happening simultaneously. So, it, it, you know, they don't call them tandem games for, for nothing, right? We're, we're building both these games in tandem. Sure. And um, uh, let's see what else I want to add there that, um, yeah, so, so the iPhone version is coming out at the same time as PC. And, and here's where this really sweet um, kind of trifecta comes together is the PC version of Bumble Tales is being created with the Torque Game Engine by Garage Games, and the iPhone version is getting created by using iTorque that Garage Games has recently put out. So right now, we are almost an exclusively Torque-driven studio. And, I mean, like nothing makes Garage Games happier than to hear that the products are making people's dreams come true, right? Yeah. So, you know, upon hearing all these details, you know, that, that just shows our conviction to c- continue to support uh, this developer, and um, they're continuing to support us. And so, you know, you just, a lot of things just fall into place like that, and you start kind of looking back and saying, you know, that makes good business sense, you know. I'm going to I'm going to bring all these all these forces together to make sure that my product has the maximum uh, success um, chances, right? Yeah. So, um, can you talk about the? Is there a difference in the in the iTorque engine versus the normal Torque engine? Is it an is it pretty easy to port between the two, or how's that? How does that work? I'm I'm very new to uh, to iTorque. Okay. Uh, but my uh, my my programmer on iTorque, a new guy that I just brought in, a guy named Dylan Sanders. Sure. Um, he is already able to deploy to the iPhone using stuff through the engine. So uh, my guess is that uh, I, I guess if you know what you're doing, you can get it. You can get your game running. Um, uh, what I initially heard though was that it was a little tough um, to get that engine 
running on, on the device. Uh, and, uh, but the reason why I went in that direction definitely was because I wanted to cross market with garage games on, on this title as well as box macabre. Okay. But, um, also since, since Aaron had built a lot of things using torque script, uh, I believe those things carry over. So a lot of the source code I think is going to be able to plug right in. Um, and then I, I think, uh, and I'm sure someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that what you do is it's like you're it's like you're programming it using Torque Script, but then it it outputs to something that Xcode can understand. Okay. So I, I'm I'm actually you know again I'm I'm not going to claim to be a programmer. Uh, I try to understand as much of it as I can. Um, but uh, to my understanding, that that's how it works, and so. It, theoretically, it should be a very easy port. You guys have also released an iPhone game already, right? Yes, and uh, my apologies for not mentioning it sooner. Uh, it's a game that we did not develop internally, but we were hired as the uh, creative outsource okay. uh, group for it. So um, it's a game called Aim for the Brain, the zombie whacking game. <laughs> okay. And... Um, that that was developed by Westlake Interactive. Okay. And if you do, if you do your homework, uh, Westlake actually has a long history of uh, working on uh, Mac products. And so um, the uh, he's a co-founder, and also he was the lead programmer on the project. Phil Sulak. He, uh, you know, it was it was uh, it was supposed to be like he was going to be able to like just jump right in and make the game, but. You know, we we came to find out that even even people with a lot of experience on Macs uh, can still have trouble with with the iPhone platform. But but we learned a lot through that project. Um, anyway, just to tell you a little bit about the game. Um, it is essentially like a souped up version of Whack a Mole. So it's super, oh, okay. super simple. Zombies pop up from behind things, and and there's actually there's a number of games out there that have the same general premise. Sure. But what I'll tell you about this game is that it. I, well, it's better, you know. Um, but I, I say that not because I was a part of it. I say it because it's the one that I actually go back and play as a gamer. Because it, it, it you get into a zen uh, like you do like in Guitar Hero, where you're just getting notes right and you just keep going, you just keep going, and like you know you don't want to break your streak and you keep getting multipliers. That's how this game feels, um, and it's very easy to write it off as just like a very you know kind of a, a dumb, simple whack-a-mole game, but. Uh, the actual design behind it is pretty awesome. Um, throw a shout out to my friend Tony Salvaggio who did that. He, believe it or not, he's a, he writes for Tokyo Pop. So have oh, okay. gotten you know? Uh, were there any other challenges to getting this game out on the iPhone, or any surprises? Yes. Um, one major surprise was just the enrollment process. Okay. To uh, to become an iPhone developer. Um, yeah, it seems pretty uh, strict. I mean. uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's strange how you know it comes across as being very very strict and exclusive. Yeah. Yet you've got a lot of shovelware coming out, you know, <laughs> for, for the platform. You know, when, when you have you know fart sound machine being like you know on the top twenty five to fifty apps constantly, you you start to wonder where the content control and the quality control uh, really lies. No, but um, the process was was a little tedious because. You know, you would basically, you would sign up, you would do a lot of, you know, online forms, yeah. send it in, and you basically just wait until they get back to you. And, 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 and they make it seem like it's, it takes 
you know, a week or less. But, you know, in our case, um, I know that Westlake Interactive couldn't even get enrolled for probably two months or more. There was there was a there was a lot of mix up and there was kind of it was a little little bit messy getting them enrolled. So the game was done. Um, I think uh, the game was done in November sometime, but we couldn't even release it until December because Westlake wasn't able to get enrolled. And if you're not enrolled, you you have no access to the portal where you can actually upload the game to sell. And were there any other challenges uh, to releasing the game or um, just even yeah, developing uh, it? Sure. So. You know, another another benefit that that you have for developing for iPhone is that you know um, there's there's only a few devices that you know exist in 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 that in that product line. So testing on it is very easy, right? Yeah. I remember it being very very difficult to uh, create the the certificates and permissions to get my particular device to actually be able to debug the game, and uh, I think we spent the better part of a day. Just going through the certification process for my for my device, just trying to register my device and trying to get um, all the uh, like the keychain working well with it. Um, I think I think that it's not as plug and play as a lot of people might expect. Um, is really the core of what I'm saying. And uh, now, kind of having to go through it a few times because I've I've uh, hooked up some certificates on devices for uh, my own internal development uh, that. The documentation is all there. Um, Apple Apple's really good about documenting things, so I'm certainly not knocking them. But I will say that they're they're definitely um, putting themselves out there as as very plug and play. But uh, you still have to know a good deal about what you're doing um, to to actually create a game and get it to deploy to the device. There's stories of. People making apps in a day or two, and then you know making ten or twenty thousand a day, or something like that. Uh, yeah. Did that did that inspire you or motivate you to maybe just focus primarily on iPhone? Or uh, what was the I'll be there? I'll be I'll be honest that um, that I, I have mixed feelings about those stories. You know, uh, I want nothing more than, than the little guy to have his day. That That is for sure, because I am currently a little guy trying to have my day. Yeah. And uh, and I believe it's coming uh, sometime soon. And uh, But um, when I sit down and I, you know, because I, I try not, you know, I try not to get too deep into it, but I do approach all the projects that I do is like, you know, this is, this is me spending my personal time creating something and I, and I want to create something that's very compelling and, and, and is not going to just be forgotten in a day. And, um, when I hear about these success stories for, for certain, certain products that, you know, I, I really don't want to name names, but I think, sure. I think everybody has an idea of the kinds of products I'm talking about that are just, they're not games. Well, it would, um, it would allow you to go full time. I mean, so that's the balance. It's you know? true. It's true. It's true. But then, but then, do I do I do I do that? Do I establish my studio as the company that made that game? And then, when I make something compelling, the serious people that I'm trying to attract are are they going to pay attention to me, or or is that going <laughs> to taint me forever? Um, that those are the kinds of thoughts I have because yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of things that I think, oh, I can do a quick cash in on this, or I can do a, a super quick development and cash in on that. Or basically, just try to do what 
um, I think has plagued a lot of other systems too, is just, just throw tons of content out there and just hope something sticks. And all you're doing right there is, is you're perpetuating this cycle of, of saturation of, of the marketplace. And I just, I don't think that that's going to create a healthy marketplace. Um, it's exactly what happened to the pocket PC, which was, which was a reason why our, our initial game blade of betrayal didn't do so well was because there was thousands and thousands and thousands of games for the device. I mean, how do you get seen? How do you get visibility? And so, uh, I, I believe that's where the, the iPhone is going right now. Um, if it doesn't get any kind of regulation soon, it's definitely going in that direction of it's going to be so saturated that even the greatest games are not going to sell as well as they should because people aren't hearing about them, people aren't seeing them, and people just have way too much weight. Well, choice is great, you know, obviously. Yeah. But uh, I, I think you know what I'm getting at. Anyhow, um, so, yeah, so at, at, at the same, at one, uh, at one time I'm like, I'm very happy for those guys. Yeah. Uh, but on, on the flip side of the coin, I get really worried because when it's my time to release um, my products that I that I put a lot of time and effort into making sure that the top quality, um, if if anybody's even going to care or see those uh, games, so. And can you talk about because a lot of it is it sounds like the apps that you're working on, the games that you're working on for the iPhone will take a little longer to release than. Um, and, and the rush is now. So how do you balance the fact that the opportunity is now with well, the need okay, to, so, to take time to do it? So you say the rush is now, and I would actually... Well, actually, the rush supposedly was before, but I, I guess it keeps on getting better. Like, you know, Supposedly, the rush was last summer. Yeah, and, well, I mean, if, okay, any, anything that got out um, last year um, probably did well, even if it was bad, um, just because... You just didn't have you didn't have the competition. You didn't have yeah. you know um, everyone trying to get in on the marketplace, and people were experimenting with a lot back then. And, and a lot of times it worked. You know, people were selling games for higher price points. Uh, I think I think a game like like Enigma costing ninety nine cents now that yeah. that's crazy to me because that is that's a full game. Same thing with uh, basically all Pangea Software's titles. It's just like these are old Mac games that are full full scope games that, you know, you can get them for a buck 99, 99 cents. It's absurd to me. Okay. Um, as a consumer, I think it's great because I get all these great games for super cheap, but as a developer, you know, I think, you know, people, if this game were coming out on a disc, people would be paying 50 bucks for this game yet on the iPhone, they expect it to cost $5 or less. Um, you know, that, that kind of factors into why I, I won't go full time in iPhone development is because I know that it's necessary to move forward. I need to have some SKUs out there, out there on the uh, on the device. Sure, but uh, but I know it's also good to branch out and diversify. Um, and did you also explore different business models? You know, instead of just straight up selling it using advertising or something else like that. I uh, I've been approached about about things like that, and like doing you know cross promotion through the games and. And having advertising sell, you know, make the money for me and sell the game. And um, again, it's it's one of those things where I'm I'm just I'm not comfortable enough. Like my experience in in the development in game development. Like so, I'm I'm much more. Um, I have a lot more experience in history in making games, and I'm just now in this past year getting into the whole 
business side of things. And that's just one model that I'm not familiar enough with to jump, you know, headfirst in. And so perhaps in the future, but, um, uh, Aaron touched on a really good thing in the last podcast where, you know, it, it comes down to like, I, I want to make games my way and I don't really want to, uh, I don't want to involve a third party that's going to try to direct the game in any way that that is contrary to my my uh, my beliefs and my my um, vision for it, you know. And that's not to say that that you know it's my way or the highway. I mean, yeah. my our our games. And I say our games. The Perfect Dork Studios games are the culmination of everybody's input because we're so small. Everyone's voice is very loud and. You know, if we're going to have a healthy team, we're obviously not going to ignore someone's criticism or comments on something. And so, um, I'm definitely open to collaboration. But I think that when you start bringing in a third party who their their number one goal is to make money and then make a good product second, that's that's the opposite of where I am. And that might sound a little I don't know naive or whatever, but I mean that's just. That, that's that's how I approach things. I, I, I go about making a good product first, and then I worry about how it's going to make money. Because I think good products will sell. You know, um, you have to market them well. But you can you can market a bad product and have it sell great. But you know, if you market a great product and people fall in love with it, you're you're building a relationship with your audience that can last a decade. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, you mentioned that. Uh you know, you have your full-time job and then you're working on this kind of as almost like another full-time job. What, yep. what convinced you to attend conferences? Um, because, you know, some of the other part-time indies I know, they're like, well, you know, I do this for fun or as a hobby. And, you know, investing in a conference is, you know, that's, that's still a decent investment. So, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it, if you're talking dollars, yeah, it's it's a it's a big dollar investment because all those dollars for you know the the passes and the dinners and all that stuff, yeah, um, uh, you know you can put towards developing your game. Uh, I just think that, well, I look back at I look back at it this way: had I not gone to those conventions, I wouldn't have met the contact at Microsoft that I was able to submit to Xbox Live Arcade game to. I wasn't able to meet the people at Garage Games face to face and have them know me and trust me with uh, with well representing their engine. I wouldn't have met Aaron Murray. I wouldn't have. Uh, I, I the composer on Box Macabre is a guy that I just ran into uh, playing Pong on the show floor at GDC. A guy named uh, Andrew Sigler ends up being one of the most talented musicians ever. I but I would never have met him sure. or even known about him had I not attended these these conferences so I, i'm privy to, to knowing that you know this kind of serendipity can happen but um uh i think the main reason initially why i chose to go to these conferences is well you know in the, in the long run i want to be a part of this industry um sure. to whatever capacity i can be in and in order to be successful in that i mean you have to know people you know, it's not like I was just going out there and self-promoting, but I was going out there and trying to learn as much as I could about, you know, through, through the conferences or through the seminars, I was able to learn a little bit more about how to approach publishers if that was the road I wanted to go to or 
learning about uh, using a, a middleware engine or even learning about the different uh, downloadable forms for your game. Um, th- these are these are things that you learn from from experts that you would never learn anywhere else, and it's just kind of like you know you make that personal investment and, and personal uh, both time and money investment to go out there and be in full force to, to soak up everything you can as far as the education and then meet as many people and network network out as much as you can. Um, there's nothing like me, meeting somebody face-to-face um, because when, when someone can put a face to your name, uh, and I'm almost sad that this isn't a video podcast, but um, sure. when someone can put a face to, to your name and they can see the sincerity in your, in your face and kind of like the passion in the way you know you... You, you talk and everything. I think that that that's what really creates these these good collaborations. And I think that in in the independent forum, you have a lot of people uh, like even myself. I started off trying to do everything on my own, but I'm seeing now that that partnering up or doing collaborations or co developments really really helps out and is probably more likely to be successful. What conferences have you found worthwhile to attend? Uh, GDC so far has been the number one that uh, I've gotten the most benefit out of. Uh, the uh, one, the one in Austin, or the one in San Francisco? The one in Austin. Uh, okay. This March is the first one in San Francisco. I'll I'll be attending. So, uh, and I'm taking my entire team with me. Uh, that's okay. part. That's, that's part of their bonus is uh, I can fly them out to San Francisco, and they're really excited about that. And it's a lot of motivation to get us uh, to, to get us in gear and try to get this thing put together in time to show a, to show a really good demo. Um, yeah, I'm primarily speaking about the Austin GDC, and okay. it's it's really convenient just because you know I'm based out of Austin, sure. and um, you know it's just it's just a drive down the street to the convention center, so um, it's not as big of a, a money investment since I don't have to fly or, or pay for lodgings, but. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I invited my my team as well to that. So you mentioned uh, well, you mentioned Independent Games Conference. Is that mm-hmm. was that how was that was that a that's IGC that was uh, and I believe just like GDC they have uh, they have it located in different places throughout the year. Okay, and I think the next one's in Boston. So from Austin to Boston, uh, it was it's very small. It's it's okay. it's not like GDC at all as far as the scope of it, but what you get is you get uh, a much I don't know a much more intimate um, atmosphere. So it's not so loud, it's not so crowded. Um, their their expo room um, was of the size to where you know everybody that was showing off, whether it be hardware or software. Um, that they got a lot of visibility because there just wasn't a whole bunch of signage and a bunch of loud noises. Basically, EA wasn't in the middle of it trying to get everyone's attention. Um, so it was a much more intimate forum. I mean, we're talking about 200 people, all developers, um, and uh, and all the panels were, again, like uh, other developers. Basically, it's developers teaching developers, and it's not so much like you know people there trying to, you know, do publishing deals and stuff. Although I did meet um, the guy who's uh, who's the head of the PlayStation Network. Um, and uh, and he, he, he actually he informed me a little bit about uh, what it would take to get a game out on their platform. And so uh, 
actually later on this year, we are considering uh, bringing Box Macabre to the PlayStation 3 via the PlayStation Network. Uh, the biggest hurdle there is definitely um, the porting the code because XNA is, is a Windows-based um, framework that that will not run on the PlayStation 3. They have their own pr- uh, proprietary thing. So yeah. uh, if, it, if, it's a, if it's a project that will take more than six months, it'll be really hard to convince me to do it. I mean, I'd rather just make a brand-new title, like a whole new IP, and establish it on the PlayStation Network or something, you know. Uh, versus working on the same game again for six months, and basically, I, I would feel like I, I would be losing momentum at that point. Um, what are some of the other challenges of running a studio while you're also um, doing a full time job? <laughs> well, and how uh, do you balance that? You know, there there's some indies who are listening to this podcast, and that's that's what they're doing too. You know, and yes. how do you actually make a lot of progress? Because you know, there's always they have you have the accountability at work. But yes. Well, um, I I'm not I'm not quite sure if this is a blessing or a curse, but um, so far I've been able to run off of very little sleep. Okay. That's one. Um, seriously, like this this week. I mean, I think I went to bed <laughs> four o'clock in the morning. Last night I went to bed at five o'clock in the morning. Okay. Um, and then I wake up at 8.30 and I go put in eight hours a day at my other job, which is also doing art for casino oh, okay. gaming. So I, I'm, nice. an, I'm also a production illustrator at another game company. So I basically live, breathe, and sleep um, game development. Uh, I'll say that if, if you're in a situation like this, there, I mean, it, it makes you fast, like... Like I'm basically practicing all day long for the job that I do all night long, and and I feel like I can do things twice as fast as I used to, and probably uh, then I would say like you know a lot of, a lot of people, and that's not like a quality thing. There's a lot of artists that are like a lot a lot more talented than I am. Sure. Um, but it's just I know the process of creating game art so well now that um, I bypass a lot of uh, a lot of wasted time. And, and second attempts and stuff. So, um, yeah. So first of all, you have to be able to sacrifice that kind of time and maybe a little bit of your health to uh, to put in the time. I mean, that's the thing. Sure. If, if if you want to make a good product, you you have to put in the time. Um, and uh, I don't know if anyone else is part of another game studio and trying to do independent game development on the side, but um, I was able to get um, permission from my from the company I work for. Okay. Um, to to pursue this on the side because it's it's not a conflict of interest because I'm not going into um, gambling, the, the 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 gambling space. Sure. So they saw that as being completely safe, and so um, I don't have to be sneaky. You know what I mean? Like I don't. Sure. Um, if if I have to write an email or something from 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 my day job that pertains to Perfect Dork Studios, I don't really think anyone's going to cry or uh, or cry foul. Sure. But. Um, it does make it hard to do stuff like meetings. Um, most of my meetings either have to happen uh, late at night um, or on the weekends. And uh, basically, all my weekends are like like double the time to work. So, like, I don't really have any time off ever. So, that's another thing that you have to understand is if you really want to make it work um, while having a, a day job, you you definitely have to learn how to start sacrificing your time. Um, to make it happen, there's, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of 
stamina required and, and, and you just have to, you just have to put in the hours. Right. So, um, it, it's really hard to do daytime meetings. Uh, well, obviously, Oh, I was going to say, um, if, if a task has to be done and delivered to someone in the daytime, that's incredibly challenging because, um, you don't have those hours to do things. So uh, coordination is, is a, is a big challenge. Uh, compared to previous years, you're releasing a lot more games this year. Um, you know, what changed then in terms of how you manage your time or your development process so that you're able to release a lot more games this year, say, compared to last year or the year before? I think being able to accept help is, uh, is, is what changed that. Um, well, when you say help, are you talking about people helping your studio, like, I mean, on other people working at your studio or are you talking yeah, about yeah, like, like, okay. I, like I'll, I'll subcontract other, uh, other artists now. Um, I used okay. to handle, I used to handle everything on my own and we're talking everything from like, you know, uh, interface to 3d modeling to, you know, uh, marketing materials, like, so like flyers and like websites and stuff like everything was handled by, uh, just myself, um, on top of trying to manage manage the team in the scheduling you know and 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 if i'm going to be a good boss i have to be there for my team when they need me when they have questions or when they have you know uh, issues that pop up that they need you know your input in um stat you know what i'm saying yeah so um well so with that was back you know i was able to manage that when i only had one game project that we that we were working on which was last year box macabre was the only thing on our plate and then starting with aim for the brain that that basically opened up a floodgate of of new iphone projects that that we started up um and my time went from almost nothing to i don't even understand how i can pull it off uh hopefully my hopefully my team's not listening and getting nervous but uh um it, it's a it's a constant reminder that you know every minute counts, and um, there's certain things that I feel like I don't I don't have to do in order for the product to be good, and in order for myself to feel fulfilled. You know, I mean, like if there's tasks that I can delegate to another artist that I that I trust, um, then I do it. You know, and I and, and I finally have been able to kind of come up with the means to do so as far as financially, because I don't I don't like to, you know. I, I definitely like to pay the people that are helping me out. So, sure. um, if you can swing it, I mean, yeah, and you can afford it, bring on help, you know, cause these are the people that are going to free you up to, to, to do the job that you're actually supposed to be doing. Like I'm, I, I think I traded Photoshop in for Excel or something because I, I spend more time doing schedules and, uh, looking over our milestones than I, than I do actually doing the art. But, uh, there's still a lot of key art that I'm in charge of. And and you made this transition then last year. I made this transition over the holiday, okay. so this is this is this is real recent, and so far so good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm anticipating a little more free time, um, kind of after March, after GDC is done, we'll have a little downtime. Uh, Blade of a Trail for iPhone is actually releasing at the beginning of March, so that development is at its tail end right now. So um, it's not like I'm going to have four concurrent projects on like all the time, and I'm actually looking forward to having a little more free time to devote to the other projects. So um, last year, you had a like how big was your team then working on that one project? Okay, so Box Macabre yeah. initially was myself um, 
and three others. So myself, my lead game designer, who also uh, has a lot of experience as a lead in QA. So um, he's actually able to QA the design before we even make stuff. So before we even do things, he can say, you know what, you're going to have trouble with this, so we might want to rethink that. So it's really nice to have someone who can troubleshoot before even making certain decisions. So it was myself, a designer, and two programmers uh, back last fall. And since then, um, I've hired a a concept artist, a very talented artist named uh, Helen Zhu, who uh, I also just ran into at GDC. It's amazing how you just run into (laughs) the people that are just perfect for your project. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so, so now there's a concept artist on board. And, and as, as I said before, uh, we have a composer on board, um, which is really nice because traditionally in the past I've done all the music as well. And, uh, the particular sound for, for box macabre is, is a style that I'm just not really good with. Like I do a lot of techno rock and box macabre is, is a lot more classical, like, uh, almost, uh, it, it's orchestral and, Kind of Danny Elfman like, so it's really just not up my alley. So, and uh, so six people are a part of Box Macabre right now, and then I just brought on the iPhone developers. So now we're looking at um, we're looking at a total of there's seven people. It went from from uh, it went from two at the beginning to four, and now seven uh, in the span of I guess since the beginning, probably about two years now. So pretty, I would say pretty rapid growth considering, uh, yeah. considering our projects. Yeah, I was just going to mention that you mentioned that you had, or you were working with other programmers, and maybe, I mean, do, did you find that accountability or the fact that you know you, you and the programmers were responsible to each other, one of the reasons why you were able to do this in addition to your full time job. Absolutely. You have to have people that are self-motivated and um, just as ambitious as you are. Uh, otherwise, you're going to expect a lot out of them that they won't deliver. And um, yeah, how are how are then you balancing the fact that they you know they also have other time commitments besides this and and their job? So, well, I I would say that a little goes a long way. Um, I do everything I can in my power to make my team happy and. Sometimes, sometimes it's through money, but more often than not, it's it, it's not it's not about money. Um, it's more about um, giving them uh, the chance to contribute more than just you know what their title says, because um, everyone deep down you know has, has an artistic vision, and so on our projects, I, I allow them the chance to you know really be a, not only the master of their own craft, but really contribute to what everyone else is doing. Um, I, you know, I, I, any, anytime they need anything, I'll, I'll get them stuff like, you know, whether it's like, uh, you know, books or resources, uh, tools, uh, I take them to conventions. I basically, I do everything I can in my power to let them know that, that they're not just hired guns to me, that they are, they're a team and that we're a team moving forward together. And I think that when people feel that way, um, it's, it's really easy for them to go above and beyond and be ambitious and be self-motivated because they know that if, if they let, if they let one of us down, they let all of us down and, and nobody wants to be that person, you know? And so everyone cares about the project, you know, as if it were their own because it is. And so, um, and that's, that's how I, I believe I keep them motivated. Um, you know, plus, plus these are guys that, 
um, this is the kind of game that, that none of us have ever done before. So there's a lot of breakthroughs that we're all making as far as, as far as our experience in education sure. that, that pushes us forward. I mean, there's nothing like learning new things to help motivate you to learn more new things. And once you have a new toy to play with, I mean, you could be at it for, for, you know, weeks. So, um, can you talk about the benefit of working with a programmer in person versus just contracting it out somewhere else? Um, you can get immediate results. Okay. Um, and for instance, um, yeah. You have, know, you, have you tried remote development or are all these people pretty much yeah, local? Okay. Actually the, the first, um, the first company I worked, uh, worked with for blade of betrayal at the time, they were called HPT Interactive, and they've since changed their name to Conjured Realms. Um, they they're based out of Houston, okay. and they're still based they're still based out of Houston. And uh, from day one, I I was an Austinite, so um, I had to work, you know, offsite that almost that entire development. There'd be times that I'd drive into Houston for like long weekend sessions where we would be in the same room, and I tell you what, we got. We got more done in like two days being in the same room together sure. than we would have in the two weeks that we spent apart. And that's because as soon as a change gets made, we can all experience it. We don't have to wait for, you know, um, we don't have to wait for, for someone to get around writing an email or uploading a build to the build server. Or, you know, what if a build's available, but I'm off doing an errand and I can't even see it until three o'clock in the morning, you know? And, and, and that develop and that uh, programmer is waiting on feedback from me before moving forward. I mean, all that time he could have been working. Instead, he's waiting on me. Instead of that, you know, when you can be in the same space as somebody, you can give them immediate feedback. You can get almost instant results, and you can explain yourself in a way that sometimes is hard um, in writing. Uh, or, you know, like, for instance, if I say, you know, I want the, the jump to feel more like this, if I write that out, you know, and then the programmer understands it in a way that I didn't mean, then I'm going to get results that I don't want, which is more time wasted. So it, it's really hard to get. I mean, once you're, once you're in sync with a programmer, you know, sure. and, and you guys speak the same language, <laughs> I think it's a little easier to, to kind of spread, you know, spread yourselves apart. Um but, uh, you know, I mean, and that's why I keep working with the same guys is because we, we're, we're getting that, you know, they can, I can say one thing and they can understand the full weight of it. So can you talk about the transition you encountered as you shifted from kind of artist now to more of a producer? Well, uh, it, it felt, it felt pretty organic. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's not like I went to business school or, you know, game producer sure. college. Um, but, uh, I feel that just being a lifelong, um, gamer and also someone who's, who's technically knowledgeable about ha how to make them. Um, it, it felt like a natural progression. It's almost like, uh, like my, my father, for instance, he's, he's like a project manager at an engineer company but he started off welding bolts on pipes, you know, sure. and because he saw it from the ground level, he was able to kind of take that with him as he moved up. And his understanding of his craft is, is so absolute that, um, 
you know, like no, no one can really question his, his, uh, his authority on it, you know? And so that's how I, I'm starting to feel where like, um, because I, I kind of know the, the actual production side of it, as far as creating assets and implementing assets and things like that. Um, I now know how to speak to others that are going to be creating those assets for me. If you follow. Sure. So the things that I've had to learn most, most, uh, more than anything is, uh, just really, it's like time management and, uh, learning how to prioritize is a big thing. And, uh, I, I can't stress enough how much like you just have to be flexible because if you set an expectation that something has to be a certain way or else, or else it can't work, then it probably won't work. Um, you have to leave yourself a little bit of room to kind of, to kind of move around problems, you know what I'm saying? So, sure. uh, and a lot of times you're gonna have a lot of happy accidents because one feature that you think could be a core feature, you yeah. know, if it doesn't work, it, it might lead to something that actually ends up being more fun. Um, and so, and how do you keep up then with the industry and you know changes in upcoming games and stuff like that? Oh, uh, well, through through podcasts. Um, okay, great. That's how I, I get a lot of news that way. Uh, I am a frequent visitor of sites like Kotaku and Joystick. Uh, I've got an account through Game Press, so I mean, as as official press release stuff comes out, I, I get it all the time. Okay. And uh, I'm pretty up to speed with, I would say, you know, the industry in general. Um, and I actually, oddly enough, I, I spend more time paying attention to the big guys. And not as much as 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 the indies. And okay. I pro- I probably should should uh, spend more time, you know, since since I'm an indie myself. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that I I get informed on a daily basis um, through a number of um, web publications. And what well, what other podcasts do you listen to? Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, one up. Uh, all those guys got laid off, but uh, that was my favorite podcast. Was uh, okay. just One Up FM and One Up Yours, sure. Because uh, you know they, they brought the news, but they also you know they also brought their personalities, and yeah. I think that's really important as as a developer. Um, because we're we're unique and we're distinct among you know kind of like the AAA titles as far as like we can do things that they can't. Yeah. You know our our personalities come out through our games. Sure. And so if people like our games, chances are they, they like us, you know, and, and I think that building that kind of personal relationship uh, as a developer is, is really important because anytime that, I mean, the, the main thing that I really want to develop um, is that Perfect Dork Studios is a, is a really versatile company. Like, like we're going to make all sorts of different types of games. But that they're all going to be good, and that and I want to deliver on that promise, you know. And and every single time someone sees the per- that Perfect Dork Studios is attached to something, I want them to just understand that that means that that it's going to be a good product. Um, what do you see then in store for the future of your studio? Um, okay, well, um, so you have these upcoming titles. Yeah, um, yeah. So on 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 the docket right now. Um, the, the definite plans are we are releasing Blade of Betrayal on iPhone in March of this year, followed by Bumble Tales on PC and iPhone in May, 
And then, uh, if nothing else comes up, we are uh, releasing Box Macabre on both PC and XNA Creators Club in late October is our target. And uh, if we can squeeze it in there, I am really, really trying to do a, a smaller kind of like side, uh, side story Box Macabre for iPhone. Because I want to be I want, anyone who wants to play that game, I want to be able to give them an opportunity to do so. So it's really less of a, of like a, a money generating project, as, and more of like I want people to be exposed to the to the game and to its world, and I want them to fall in love with the character, um, and uh, hopefully it inspires them to if they have an Xbox to jump on and buy buy the full Big Daddy version or bu- jump on their PC and buy it. So. Uh, and th- those are the definite things that are happening this year. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, you see that there's a, there's a nice stretch in the summertime where we don't plan on have any releases. And that's, that's because I want to give, I want to give us as much time as, as we need to, to really make box macabre fulfill its potential, because I really don't think there's a title like it on, on the platform on X and a creators club. Sure. And I, I really think that it's going to be a game that, that players are going to want to play, especially fans of, of 2D adventure games such as uh, like Super Metroid and the Castlevania Symphony of the Night. So, so basically like Metroidvania type games. Um, it it kind of goes in, uh, similarly in that, in that formula, um, but it's a new IP and, and it's, a, it's a different world in those games and we do things differently. And so I think it's going to be familiar as far as like your, your particular objectives, but the overall experience, I think, is going to be fresh, and I think uh, I think fans of those types of games are, are just really going to love it because I, I mean I'm a fan of those types of games, and and I love I, I love I love Box Macabre. I mean, it's not even because I'm making it. I'm making the game that I love because it's the kind of game I want to play. And um, what what is the goal then of your studio long term? I know you mentioned that. I mean, is there any specific type of games that you want to make? I mean, is it mainly about the well, games that you want to make, or my uh, my team is not quiet at all sure. about doing a follow up game to Box Macabre sure. uh, as an as an action RPG. They 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 want nothing more than to do an RPG, and in fact, they've already started thinking about like the story, and they're already putting it together in the back of their minds. and And I, I love the fact that they're already looking to the future, like they're invested into the studio so much, and you know how how am I not going to do it? You know what I mean. Like sure. the games are as good as the developers, and if the developers have their hearts in them, then the games are going to be fantastic. And so, um, so I believe that the next thing on the plate uh, to follow probably uh, it, it's going to definitely be 2010. I, I really doubt we'll be able to put out an RPG before 2009 is up, but uh, that's where it's looking like we're headed. Um, but I, I've invested, I've invested in, you know, in my iPhone developer as well. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have roughly three to four iPhone games coming out every single year, uh, and probably more as we grow. And, you know, I'm still an out, I'm still an an art outsourced company. So, you know, if, if a really good opportunity comes up to collaborate with another studio who needs a content, a content creator, then, uh, then I'll probably do that as well. You know, it just, um, it's about just the timing being right time and, uh, 
and, and all the business making sense. So, uh, but yeah, the ultimate goal is to have enough revenue coming in from our product sure. to be, to be able to, uh, do it full time. And I, I can't even imagine how much more we'll be able to accomplish if we're all doing this full time. So, uh, I mean, we've got we've got the taste in our mouths right now. I mean, it's going to be really hard to, to sway us from this goal. So, um, you know, it's likely to happen in 2010. Um, so, I would you know I would I would keep an eye out on us, right? So, are there are there any other things that you're doing to promote Box Macabre right now? Uh, I actually just I just uh, hired. Uh, a buddy of mine owns a marketing company, Zucor Marketing, um, who he is helping me. He is helping me get the name out there. He, um, he's got a lot of experience. He did stuff for Right Guard and like the RGX campaign. I don't know if you remember that body spray or not, but that, that was his. And I, you know, anyways, um, so I, I want this thing to succeed so bad. And I know that, you know, a lot of this is kind of beyond my capability, you know, cause sure. really there are, there are only enough hours in the day. And if I had to project manage and create art assets sure. and get out there and try to do PR, like I, I couldn't, you know, there's just not enough hours in the day. Plus, you know, I mean, I, I have a family too, you know what I'm saying? And, and, yeah. and, and they're, they're just as important as my, as my business ambitions. So, um, so yeah, so I've hired, uh, I'm hired my friend, and uh, he's already started to get the ball rolling on like our, our marketing strategy, and like he's really good about focus groups and target audiences, and like we're not going to spend a whole lot of time marketing uh, Blade of Betrayal, which is kind of a hardcore two D side scrolling action game in, in the vein of like Ninja Gaiden or Castlevania. We're not going to spend a lot of time marketing that game on like a casual portal that that you know really caters to. Uh, young children and or uh, older adults um, that just want a, a more casual experience, like a puzzle game or, or, or a non-combative game. You know, we're going to sure. put marketing for Blade of Betrayal out on on hardcore gaming sites and, and gaming sites that are more tailored to our target audience, which are 10, 10 to 30-year-old males, you know? Uh, I say 10-year-old males uh, because, you know, it's, it's a, it stars it stars a a young, a young man, you know, but, but it's all action. It's all fighting. And, and there's, sure. you know, there's all sorts of creatures in it. Uh, and then, and then I say, you know, up to the 30 year olds, because the game is, is a throwback to the eight bit and the 16 bit era of, uh, of platformers and action platformers. Um, so, you know, that's pretty, that'd be vast market, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, those are the people that we're going to target. And so, um, how are we going to do it? Well, we're going to do it through, uh, web advertising, so web advertising in space, and of sure. course there's going to be the URL, uh, bladeofbetrayal.com, that's going to have even more info, and how do we direct people there? Well, you know, we we, we throw up maybe YouTube videos or, or other um, embedded online videos of the game in action where people sure. can click on that and it takes them back to the website. You know, the web is, is a really viable place, um, especially for, for a game that's going to be downloaded. I mean, like this is your market, people who are comfortable with using the internet, people that are comfortable with making purchases, uh, over a digital copy of something that they never get a physical product. I mean, these are the people that are going to buy your game, you know? And so that's, that's the approach. There's, there's a lot of web stuff. Um, though at conventions I've, I have done print and, uh, 
in packings. Like I've, I've paid the sponsorship money to have sure. flyers for Perfect Dork Studios packed into people's uh, hoodie bags and stuff. So, and what would you say are the top three learning lessons you've had since starting your studio? I mean, things that you wish you would have known that would have accelerated your progress. I I would say you know oh things things that I wish I would have known that would have accelerated the process. Okay. Um, uh, I. I wish that, um, let's see, I wish I, I had more confidence earlier on in, in myself and this, in the team's abilities to, uh, to, to do something on our own, you know, as opposed to spending a lot of time really trying to put a lot of faith in someone else to make it happen for us. Um, and I mean like a publisher, um, just kind of praying for that golden goose to come down and give you the, the absolute freedom. Uh, uh, I, I think that in the past, I, um, I wish I would have seen those times that I, that I felt so down on myself about those quote unquote failures. I wish I would have seen those as blessings in disguise because I really, I really go back and I think about what if, what if, um, uh, what if Melody Strike actually got picked up and, and the next eight to nine months of my time even up to a year were spent developing that game. And, and looking back, I don't know that, that I could have made it the game that it has the potential to be. Um, so I think that would have been upsetting to take it to the end and, and have it not do well. Um, but what it did lead me to do is what I'm doing now, which is far more opportunity than I had before. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of something technical that I've learned. It can't all be just like this kind of pseudo artsy, emotional stuff. Well, right? well you talked about, um, you know, hiring other people, and that seems to have been a, a huge oh, breakthrough, yes. right? Okay, so, so, so um, I, for a very long time, I've been I've been very proud that I can do a lot of different tasks, and I think that's necessity. Um, like I like I said before, everyone kind of needs to be a multitasker and have multiple talents, sure. um, so that your time can be used very efficiently. Um, but just because you can do something doesn't mean that you're the best person for that particular job. Um, and I, and I, and I learned that and it, you know, it took some time because a lot of times you're like, why, why would I bring someone else on if it's something that I can do myself? And then the, the answer to that question is, well, a, because you have more important business to attend to. And also that person, even though you may be able to do the job, they may be better at it or faster, or they may know things that are more relevant to, um, to the project, uh, as far as like, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with, uh, real time 3d, uh, real time 3d engines and creating like animation for that, for instance. And so, um, so I'm, I'm decent with like modeling and texturing. Um, but like when it came to the animation, I was all like, you know what, I've, I've got so much other stuff to do. And, and I know that my, that my buddy, Tony, who uh, who was the designer on Aim for the Brain? He's he's a he's awesome at animation. So you know, I mean, he's he's helping me out there. And so being able to accept that and not take it as a knock against your own pride, sure. Um, you know, it it's the only way you can keep your momentum going. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a, a big learning point is accepting help, knowing knowing to let go. You know what I mean? Um, I think uh, if if you'll if you let me kind of add one more. Um, sure. Uh, knowing when to make cuts, 
You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, I think that's that's a huge thing that I've learned is that a good game doesn't necessarily mean a game that has every single little idea that you thought of for it. And uh, and this is something that you'll hear other people say all the time, but I don't think it, it carries the kind of weight that it that it has to until you've experienced it firsthand. Um, it's definitely quality over quantity, and I can't stress that enough. Um, you can spend all your time throwing in tons of content, but if all of it is is half-baked, if all of it is two, three-star material when you're looking for a five-star material game, you're just not going to get it, you know, because you're, you're too focused on the amount of content versus the quality of the content. And I think that people are going to walk away uh, feeling better about their purchase and better about their experience if they feel like they walked away from a high-quality game. Okay. Um, great. Any last words, then, for other indie game developers out there? I would say uh, I, I encourage anyone who's interested in making games to just do it. Uh, you can read up all day long on the processes. You can you can buy books. You can watch, you know, you can listen to other people like me talk about it all day. But, but for real, the, the only way you're going to just do it is, is or, and learn how to do it is by doing it. That's, that's how I learned. And I think my understanding of it is, is far, far deeper than, than if I was formally taught. Um, and, and those being formally taught at trade schools and stuff, just go for it. You guys have, have an edge, actually. You guys are going to be able to bypass a lot of the hurdles that, um, that the guys without any experience um, are going to be, be stumbling upon. Um, and so I think it might benefit you to find incur- like um, enthusiastic people that you can kind of coach along the way. I mean, so your, your knowledge is very valuable. Sure. Um, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of stamina. And there's a lot of times when you may feel like it would be easier to quit. And I would tell you not to just keep, keep it up. I will. If anybody needs, a pep talk, just send me an email, uh, info at perfectdorkstudios.com, and I will talk you up all day long. I'll make you feel good about yourself, and you're going to be ready to make some games. Um, it's just you have to have a lot of love for it. I mean, if you don't love games, um, and if you don't just want to be a part of, of that industry, and you, if you don't want to be a part of that world, if, you, if it's just not in you, you're going to have a harder time. I'm not saying it's impossible to create stuff because I've known plenty of people that whose hearts weren't in it that actually got through things, yeah. but it, it was very difficult. There was always the struggle every step of the way they were asking themselves, is this worth it? Is it worth it? And you know, those are the people that don't go after it again. I mean, I'm on maybe my sixth or seventh independent game now. And, uh, each time has gotten better. Each time has gotten more efficient and, Believe it or not, each time we've gotten more and more exciting because we're we're learning and growing uh, at the same time. So, um, if if I have a chance to just uh, uh, my contact information again sure. is, is uh, info at perfectdorkstudios.com. That's p e r f e c t d o r k s t u d i o s dot com. And um, if you go to the website perfectdorkstudios.com, you'll be able to find links to all the games that I've talked about, including Aim for the Brain sure. and Box Macabre. And um, I just, I'm, I'm really grateful for, uh, for the time. Thank Great. you for allowing me to talk about the studio and our games. And I, I really hope that uh, anyone listening right now, just keep an eye out for our games. I uh, hope you play them. I hope you love them. 
and uh, I'm just going to keep making them. So great. Uh, we're talking with Billy from Perfect Org Studios. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. Yep. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.